Welcome to the Two Cent Dad podcast, where we interview dads to discuss their journeys of intentional fatherhood while doing work they care about and living a life of purpose. I'm your host, Mike Sudik. The point is to be with them. Everything else isn't even on the list. Today, I'm talking with Aaron McHugh. Aaron runs a blog called Work Life Play, and he shares some of the wisdom and stories from his 22 years of marriage, including leaving his job and living for a summer in a cabin in the mountains with his family. Let's jump into the interview with Aaron. Um, so Mike, maybe to start with, I could just tell you a little bit about my family, um, my kids, and some, some background on me. So I've been married next month, will be 22 years. Okay. And my wife and I got married super young. We were like 21, 22-year-old kids. And um, today we have uh, three kids. Our oldest is, um, his name is Holden, and he's 20. Um, our youngest, her name is Avery, and she is 14 and a freshman in high school. And then our middle kiddo um, would be 17 actually this month, but she passed away almost five years ago this January. Okay. So we've had lots of, um, lots of uh, great moments in life and lots of challenging circumstances in life as well as it relates to our family. So, so what do you do for work then, Aaron? And tell me a little bit about that. Or so I've got really kind of two parallels. Is I've been accidentally uh, started in a sales and marketing career twenty something years ago. I thought that the business world was where pirates and thieves went to um, become pirates and thieves. So I really, uh, I thought I was going to end up working for a camp was what my wife and I really originally thought of when we moved to Colorado in, I guess it was been like 1994. And it just didn't work out. So I ended up going working in the business world and have been in some capacity of sales and marketing um, for the better part of 20 some odd years now. The last 10 years, I've been working in software companies and running sales organizations. So my most recent um, day job gig was actually running sales for a company that was for the Americas, so for North and South America, and had sales and marketing responsibility for that, and 60% of the company's revenue and all the people and all the headaches that went with that. So uh, that's what I have been doing to provide for my family, and then my art that I've been working on the last really four years has been on my writing and, and blog, uh, podcasting on the work-life play, um, storytelling that I've been doing. And about the, really what it comes down to is that I've found that in my career, um, in my life and in work and play, that it's really easy for those to be lived in categories where this is what you do for work, this is what you do for your life, and this is this little margin that you call play or adventure or fun or hobbies. And what I found is that a more sustainable rhythm is actually those lines that normally would separate those have to go away so that every day you're, you're weaving in and out of those categories of work and life and play as an ebb and a flow versus as a distinct, well, I play on the weekends and I tend to my family in the evenings and I work during the day. And that's how I lived for a really long time. And it wasn't very sustainable and wasn't very life-giving um, to those categories. And so now I've found that if I can 
incorporate all three of those categories in throughout every single day, then it's much more of a, I think, a human, realistic way to actually live this life as a marathon and uh, and actually make it count. So what was there an event that kind of caused you to, to, to start that? You said you've been doing this for about four years, right? Yeah. Um, I've always... Have you ever? I'm not sure if you've ever heard of a guy named um, Stephen Pressfield, author. Mm-mm. He wrote a book called The War of Art. And oh yeah, I have read that. I didn't recognize the the, the author. Yeah, the author. Yeah, yes, that, yeah. highly recommended. Um, great title, um, great book. But he talks a lot about um, this premise of going pro, and the premise is basically that it's something you've likely been up to your whole life that you're good at. And so in your case, if you know, here you are standing up a podcast and starting to do interviews, you, know, you, you more than likely, people have told you all your life, you're really good at asking questions or whatever it is you've heard from before. And so I've heard that my whole life of, boy, that was a really great birthday card you wrote or, boy, how did you write that speech? Or, and so I just always took those things as, I don't know, I, I just wrote a birthday card. <laughs> well, I started a couple of years ago saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go ahead and start writing a little bit. But I did it with the belief as I was going to use it as a tool to differentiate me in a career change I was in process of. Gotcha. And so I thought one way to do this is instead of just having a resume like every other guy in the pile, I'll use this these blogs, these ideas as a differentiator. And so I'll use writing as a way I can kind of formulate ideas and then provide those as more of like a digital resume is what it started as. So my intention was never to actually run a blog or have a podcast or any of that. Uh, I thought that was actually um, the antithesis of what I was attempting to do. Um, And yet here we are fast forward, you know, four years and it's, uh, that's exactly what I do. Why, Why did you think it was the antithesis though? I mean, that's interesting to hear you say that. Yeah, you know, I, I think what it came down to was probably two things is I didn't believe that my perspective was unique mm. because it was just my perspective. It was what I was accustomed to and, and used to. So that was the first piece. And then I think the second piece was I just didn't have I didn't have confidence that that pers- my unique perspective was first of all unique and then secondly was that um, unique, different, challenging, better, whatever the words would be. And so it took me some time because my motive wasn't really to go out and, and write a blog and do some of those things. It took me some time as I was engaging that craft and that art and exercising those new muscles to realize that, no, actually, I do have this unique skill set. And it is it fills a specific voice in this, these categories of work and life and play. Whereas most people just talk about work life balance, but they're terrible at playing or people are great at playing and they're terrible at career or they're great at career and they're terrible at family. Um, so to actually build this, what I call this trifecta of work life play as a, as a three legged stool, that that actually is really unique. So it just took me time to work that out to figure that it was really something meaningful. Gotcha. So so um, I want to I want to go to that one podcast that I heard from you, and it was it was telling the story of how you guys you kind of reached a, a point where 
you were kind of kind of burned out for lack of a better word and and you and your family ended up moving into a camp and it, tell that story because that was to me to hear you tell it was pretty pretty impactful um so why don't you why don't you tell that and and kind of we can go from there okay great um so i had this was this spring of this year 2015 and I was on a business trip over to London and then on to Spain and Madrid um, for my day job. And I was over there to actually meet a guy who was working for me and he and his family were considering moving to the States. And so I wanted to do what I called like the human thing and actually go see his family and meet him. And here I was all the way in London. So it was only a two hour flight or whatever it was to get over to Madrid. So I'd already been there a week, was tired, ready to get home, but I knew it was the right thing to do. So I hopped a flight, um, we flew in, and they picked us up at the hotel, and we had a chance to get taken around this, the city. And it was just brilliant, great. We ended up doing this walking tour, top of this tour, in in the city, the kind of ancient part of the city, and meandering our way down these streets and you know, kind of eating our way, snacking our way through the city and just really enjoyed the cadence of the way they were living the and the stories that they were telling about what their Sundays looked like on, they'd sit around and take naps and you know, I would ask them things like, you know, what, what does it look like to you to watch us Americans live? And so his wife went on to, to kind of apprehensively, um, kind of, you know, look like, is it okay to actually answer the question for real or do I need to censor this because this is the boss here? Um, and I'm like, no, 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 I want you to give me the real story. <laughs> um, and so she just went on to kind of say, like, you guys, you, you live to work. It's all you do. Um, we here, we work so that we can live. And, and I'd heard that before, but seeing it first person and hearing about their two-hour long lunches and their concentration on family and things. So I witnessed this very opposite opposed alternative to how I was living. I was living on fumes and working all the time and squeezing in. Sure, I'd squeeze in a run before work or I'd write and do some podcasting and different things, but it was some of it, the way I was doing it was still – over-caffeinated, underslept, um, just intense, and it wasn't working. So when I came back, my wife and I had already been in discussions about we just need a life reboot, and what if we, what if we really just go for it? So that kicked off a process of us selling our house, selling all of our belongings, like literally like the wall hangings that wedding china, the silverware, the grill, the patio furniture set, all the beds, all the everything, everything. And I mean, what's your wife thinking at that point? What are your, what are your neighbors <laughs> thinking at that point? You know, like she's like, who uh, are you and what you do with my husband? You know? So, well, in, the good news is we were in on it together and our daughter was in on it um, as well because we basically, because we've been through some kind of severe life changes um, with our, our daughter passing, we really just knew we needed a do-over. And I think what happened was what we looked at is we know, I was just describing to a guy, we went on a walk for lunch today and we knew where the current trajectory was headed. 
because we could look back in history and say, well, this is what we've done. This is where we've gone. This is what it's yielded. And we think if we just stay on the same trajectory, we know where that's going to go. It's going to be some more of the same. What we don't know is if we actually started over and just did a total reboot and level set on everything from work, life, career, play, all of it, then that is a risk. But it's less of a risk in some ways than just continuing to play out and live out the story that we've been doing that's led to these dead ends and these challenges that we're, we're faced with in terms of some of the way we were trying to approach our life. So you rebooted. I mean, did you have a plan at that point or you just, I mean, what happened next? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Do we have a plan? That's a good question. So w- what I did was actually took, went to work day job and said, guys, I need, I need to take a leave of absence. Um, I can't do this and reorient my life while I'm on the clock all day, every day. And it's not fair to the company and the people that I'm in charge of. If I'm, if I'm not fully myself and able to take this on. So let me go tend my personal life and I'll come back and I'll let you know how it goes. Really. It was kind of how we left it of, of, I don't know where this is going to head. I don't know where it's going to lead. So I will say that that in of itself scares most people into not making any changes at all because this same conversation I just had over lunch is like you get to a place with work and life and family and responsibility and mortgages and braces and soccer and right and car payments and student loans and Christmas and a vacation and it ends up with so much pressure that you just feel like you have to stay the course. And I think some of that's sure. a cultural thing that it's a narrative we've told ourselves that I've told myself that, you know, we're trying to make a good life, you know, better than the life that we were given or the same as what we were given. And I think it just inadvertently puts, it shoulders us with pressure that really I think is, I've learned is fabricated. And so what we chose to do was take a hard look at what are those stresses that we're actually putting on ourselves and if we ratcheted our life and lifestyle way back, then how skinny could we get this? And uh, we've always lived below our means financially, but we really took a hard look at like, what if you turned off the cable and the this and the that and the, you know, get rid of it all and dump the club membership and on and on and on and on, you know, how much could you do? And then you could take a look at, well, then what kind of life could we live if we weren't trying to service a big house and you know I had to pay for the guy to come cut my grass every week because I was traveling so much and there's a hundred bucks a month and you know we just did that kind of assessment so no we didn't have a formal plan of where we were headed next but we did have a specific plan about what actions we were going to take to make to provide us with more choice in what we would choose to do next so what did you I mean you didn't mean to end up there obviously so you, it sounds like what you're saying is it was just kind of pre pre-described kind of path that, you know, society put you on or your, your, your group, your kind of type of people or your people you're surrounding yourself with. So like, yeah. how do you, did you, what were you, what were you think you were chasing? I mean, it's like you, you didn't obviously want to end up there, but where did you think you were going to end up, you know, taking back, you know, 15 years or whatever? Yeah, that's a great question, Mike. Where did I think I was going to end up? Um, you know, I think, Mike, some of it is when I was a kid, my family, we grew up um, 
single mom raised my brother and sister and I. And so I remember vividly as a 12 year old or so going to the grocery store and my mom saying, Hey, I'm about ready to pay for our groceries with food stamps. So if you want, cause I, your friends are over there talking with you. If you want to kind of go to the other side of the store, so you, your friends don't have to see this. That's totally okay. Like go ahead and you know do that. And it got my attention like, whoa, yeah, you're right. I don't want as a 12 year old middle school kid yeah. to see these girls see us checking out with food stamps. So I think there were some of those early stories that drove my priorities, which is what, what I term is the, the I will never statements. You know, I will never and then you fill in the blanks with whatever those are. So for me, early on, those were, I will never be on food stamps. You know, I will never not have money to pay for a car repair. I will never send my kids to school without lunch money. Um, and those were just byproducts of a single mom. It wasn't that she wasn't working her tail off. It was just those were the things that drove then my list of I will always and I will nevers. So I think what I didn't really calculate what it would cost me, um, and I'm um, hyper <laughs> or have been in the past hyper uh, achievement oriented, conquest oriented. So I just had this list of things I wanted to do and try and prove to myself, and all these driven type A like things that I had just set out to do, without really appreciating that those things weren't going to come free. Yeah, that I, I could see that that would shape your your viewpoint. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. How did how did you so did you? I mean, how how did that change then when you kind of rebooted? If you were, did you have to consciously kind of think about then? Okay, I need to kind of reinstate my values almost in that time, you know, when in the reboot. So so now you sold the house, you've. You, you, what, what's next after that? And how did you guys go about reconciling that and saying, these are the adjustments we want to make, you know? Yeah. Great question. Um, I'll give you another book title that's worth, um, taking a look at. So a guy named Carl Richards wrote a book. He's a New York times columnist and I've had him as a podcast guest on my podcast for work life play. And he wrote a book called the one page financial plan. And what he writes about is this premise of, first of all, starting with what your values are and then wrapping your finances around your values versus um, most people do it the other way around. They get this big giant job and then he tells you stories about like, don't tell me the most important thing to you is to spend time with your kids when you just bought a brand new Lexus, which means you have to now make sure you get that bonus to pay for it, which now means you have to work an extra six hours a week to achieve the metrics at the company that equal the bonus. That so he's like, no, no, no. If the true value that you believe is your priority is to spend time with your kids, then orient your life and your choices around that. So what we started with was, like I mentioned earlier, like kind of ratcheting back, okay, what if, yeah. You know, what if you didn't have to earn X amount per year? And what I was starting to look at was, well, let's just say, let's punt on all of it. Let's sell our stuff. Let's sell our house. Let's sell our belongings. Let's take our dogs and we'll put them at the border and 
I'm going to call a friend of mine and see if he'll take us for the summer or for eight weeks at this camp um, that's run by Young Life. And so we gave a friend a call, and I had some relationship with him, and I just said, hey, listen, we're, we're in desperate need of a reboot. We're, we're pretty banged up, but we have some history in this particular camp and in this particular uh, mission. And so he said, hey, would you be willing to take us on, and we'll work and hang out and play and offer some, some life and, and love to the people that are there, but we need it too. So would you be willing to do this? And so he, he called back two days later and he said, man, let's do this. So I went and told my wife, and actually we got into an argument <laughs> at first about it. <laughs> and it was terrible. And she's like, what? You did what? You called him what? You didn't ask me? And I'm like, I, 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 was, just, I was just fishing. I didn't, I, I didn't know. I was just trying to figure <laughs> out what our options are. So back to your, does your wife and your neighbors think you're crazy? Yes. They are. My wife um, absolutely at times thought I was crazy. Um, our neighbors, our friends, we have people super concerned about us like, oh, what are you doing? And what do you mean you don't know where you're going to live? And what do you mean you're selling your house? You don't know where you're going to move. And it, it was really disruptive. But we knew, going back to the earlier statement of we knew where the current trajectory was headed and we knew it wasn't worth continuing. So this new, let's try this alternative, most people don't do because they feel stuck, which I felt stuck for a really long time too, but I just realized the pain of being stuck was worse than the pain of change. So then you moved into the camp, and then that was just like, you know, you got a wife that's mad at you now, and then... <laughs> yeah, a daughter too. She yeah, daughter, was, too. daughter was pretty ticked about it at first, like, what do you mean you're taking me with my friends? Yeah, so we just got away from our life and what was great about it, and this is what I think I would recommend, is that one of the greatest benefits to removing yourself from your life is that when you bring everything to idle, a true idol, not a fifth gear just jamming it into the next thing you're doing, when you can bring your life to idle, you really can get clear on what's really going on. You know, what do we really have here? And this idea of back to the Spain trip of am I living to work or am I working to live? Like which which is it gonna be? And are my relationships really priority? Because my job over time, you know, people change careers four or five, ten times over the course of their life. Well, you you can't do that with a family. You get one family, you know, you get one go. And so I started realizing that I was way out of balance. And we were, as a family, in ways out of balance. And so what it gave us a chance to do off at this camp, away from our real life, so I had no bills to pay. I had no lawn to cut. I had no switches to fix or garage to clean or just none of that normal, ordinary. We didn't have meals to cook because the meals were provided. So it was really nice to just sit on the porch and my wife and I would watch mountain goats come in in the evening and sit in rocking chairs and just talk. And we had a lot of um, cleanup to do too from some of the difficulties of those seasons, but it gave us time and space and it gave me the ability to be a hundred percent attentive and present. So we could actually have those conversations and work through those over, you know, a period of weeks and months. So that's, I mean, I appreciate you sharing that and being transparent with that. Aaron, but 
like, what would you say to someone like 10 years before, like in life before you? And it's easy to say like, yeah, we arrived here, but you didn't even know 10 years ago that that was going to kind of escalate and take you down that path because you were chasing things. Um, like how, how can you do that in a, in a micro scale earlier in your career, in your family to kind of reset? Cause you only can appreciate the reset. I'm assuming you can only appreciate the reset when you've gotten so chaotic that you need to throttle back and you see the contrast, you know, with your, the way you were living and the way you, you could be living to kind of reflect how, how do you, how do you do that on a micro scale earlier? And you know what I mean? I mean, how do you kind of, it's so easy, I think, for me personally to get caught up in like you you, you don't realize it, but you are chasing, you know, the success mm-hmm. or the you want to mm-hmm. build something, you want to have significance, you want to leave your dent in the universe, so to speak. Sure. But it's like, how do you how do you kind of tap the younger person on the shoulder and say, hey, this is where it's going to end up, you know, like give a little bit of a clue to th- this is you, you could see that, you know, when you guys were later in your life. But what's a mechanism for that? What would you recommend to someone, you know? 10 years your junior? Yeah, that's a great question, Mike. Um, I spend a lot of time with guys that are 10 years and 15 years and even ironically almost 20 years my junior now. So I'll, um, and we, we, we have these conversations. Um, I think, I think there's really, there's probably two things I see now at 43 that I didn't at 30. And one of them is that in, in life, God really allows seasons on purpose and that there's a, a maturity that happens in seasons. It's like rings on a tree that every year there's another ring that grows. And some years are really great and fertile. And some years are skinny and cold and a lot of drought. But the maturation that happens over the course of those seasons, year after year after year, some of it is just time has to take place. Time has to happen. And I think that, you know, one of the greatest things about the world we live in right now today is that you can do anything. Anything you dream up, because of these computers we're sitting here with, you can you know you can connect with somebody in, pick a country, pick a village. You, I mean, there's so much the world enables for in terms of opportunity of today of what you can just invent and create. And I think at the same time, it also just makes us. It, it causes me at times to scurry about, and some of it I just needed to. I just needed some of that young energy to run its course. And it reminds me of a friend of mine um, wrote a book called No Matter the Cost. And he tells a story in it about a sheepdog. And there's two sheepdogs and there's this one, let's call him Bull, I don't remember his exact name, but this old sheepdog with this tattered ear and half an eye, blind in one eye, and like old seasoned. And then there's this young puppy that then out with these sheep is just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, running itself to exhaustion. No, but it has youthful energy in it. But this old seasoned 
dog, you know, tagged, ragtag sheep herd dog would just do mending, slight mends to the herd and knew when appropriately to offer a mend and when to back off and when to let the young pup wear himself out. And I think what I'm realizing is that God allows for us to be both of those dogs in the course of our life. And some of us reach those sooner, but I think in some ways you can't, unfortunately you can't shortcut. So if somebody would put their arm around me, which that many of them did and at age 30, tell me, Hey, don't try so hard. I heard, I heard that 15 times. <laughs> I didn't listen to them because I just thought, well, yeah, that's what that that's for you or that's cause you're tired or that's because whatever my reason was. Um, and so I think some of it just had to take time and I needed to see that stuff through myself, which then allowed for me to mature and become more shrewd and wise about how I expend my energy or why, where I invest my time and those things that you watch that older dog with a few more scars and bruises on. But there's a real wisdom to that that I don't think I could have earned any other way, unfortunately. And it just resulted from a story I wouldn't necessarily recommend, but I don't always know how to head somebody off at the pass either, other than just having conversations like this one. So at least you have categories that you're aware of, of what to be careful with, which motive is a huge one. And that, like I told you earlier, was a huge driver for me that was more insidious than I knew. But you weren't even, it sounds like it wasn't even like a conscious thing. It was almost a subconscious thing. Like you had made that decision in your mind. You hadn't written it down, but you were making all these decisions based on it. You know, is that right? I mean. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't, I wouldn't have overtly told people, hey, this is what I'm up to. You know, I wouldn't tell you the cocktail party. I will never. But when I actually looked at my behavior, my thoughts, my actions, and my beliefs, and I could actually get underneath the hood and figure out what the heck is this? Yeah. Why am I so driven this certain way? And I realized it was fear and that fear had a name and that was scarcity. And that scarcity was rooted back to those early stories in my life. That's great. Thank you. I appreciate your honesty in, in, in yeah. that, Aaron. Just to kind of wrap it up, you know, I was going to ask people, you know, what is, we didn't get to specifics on parenting per se, but you know, for a guy that's that's just starting a family, young in his career, kind of that young pup stage, as you put it, you know, what what kind of piece of advice do you give um, that guy? You know, as a last word, you know, if you had to say one word to some guy at his wedding or something, you know, what do you what do you normally say? Yeah, that's a good question too. Not to put you on the spot or anything. No, no, it's fine. No, I don't mind. Um, my my experience with that, Mike, is that as a dad now of three, um, I, I've, I'm doing it better the third time around than I did it the first two. And not to say that my job is finished um, with the other two either. But what I've learned that I didn't know when I was 30 or 28 or maybe even 35 is I always thought that if we're going to go skiing, let's say, we're going to go for a hike or we're going to go, you know, whatever we're going to do, we're going to go build a fort that the mission was build the fort. Like we're going to, we're going to do this thing. We're going to go skiing and we're going to drive all the way to the mountains and we're going to have lunch and we're going to have fun. And 
and and I, what I missed was the skiing was only the context, and but it wasn't the point. But I made it the point, and so I would get real worked up about what do you mean you got to go to the bathroom again? It's like the third time you go to the bathroom. You know, we just did that. We just unzipped your ski pants, and we. And what I've learned is that oh no 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 the point is to be with them. Everything else isn't even on the list. And so I had that priority wrong again. So this is maybe a podcast more about how this guy doesn't have his priorities right. But (laughs) that's another way in parenting where I just had that all wrong versus saying, you know what? I just want to be with you. I don't care what we do. I don't care if it's Lincoln Logs. I don't care if it's a tea set. I don't care if you want to play Pretty Little Princess and Paint My Nails. I'll do whatever you want to do because I just want to be with you. And I've learned now years and years and years later that that is a way better way to be. And all the other stuff that I had visions of and adventures we would take and trips we'd do and memories they'd have, that that actually, I, it didn't work out so great. But when I made them and whatever they wanted to do as the priority, then and if we went for a hike and we, we walked 35 feet and played in the creek for two hours, then that was mission accomplished. That was something I wish somebody would have told me a long time ago. That's great advice. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, there you go. Hey, thank you so much, Aaron. I really appreciate it. So. Yeah, you're very welcome. Glad to do it. All right. Well, take care. And thanks for listening to the show. You can find out more about us and sign up to receive updates at twocentdad.com. If you liked what you heard or just want to say hi, you can shoot me an email at mike at twocentdad.com. Please leave a review on iTunes if you like the show. It helps us to get the word out to the most people possible. The podcast production is done by Maria Van Dyken, and the show is made possible through the support of EC Group International, building software teams since 1999.